Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Butler, joined today with Melissa Kavanaugh. Hello. And Pete DeMeo. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. And Misha Bokikia. Got bumped. I know, you, you made a big stink last week about you being first, so I decided to mix it up. Alright, noted. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Prima Donna. You're the best boss, by the way. Okay, you can be first next time. Okay. <laughs> How about them apples? So today, we are going to be talking about attribution modeling. Dun, dun, dun. It is all the rage. There's a lot of chatter about it in the industry. Candidly speaking, between us podcast hosts and our friends listening at home, a lot of people do it really wrong and a lot of people overcomplicate it. So we're going to kind of break it down today and talk about the things you need to know, things you should ignore, considerations, and hopefully if you don't fall asleep, you might take something from the episode, right? Uh, Before we get into that, let's get into the news. What's going on? All right. Well, the first thing we have is a Skift report. And it's a very scary, scary headline. Google Hotel Ads is becoming the behemoth everyone feared. Ooh. Bum, bum, bum. That's a good word, behemoth. It is a good behemoth of a word. (laughs) So basically what this article is saying is kind of like what everybody has expected. The Google Hotel Ads are growing and growing and growing. And at this point, they are really the number one performing tool that many of the hotels at least that we see are having right now kind of give you an example from our own hotels experiences most of the gha ads that we're running right now are seeing close to a thousand percent return on investment which is pretty incredible this is kind of going back to what we would have seen out of TripAdvisor several years ago or even what you would see in an adwords campaign oh it's incredible yeah we, we definitely got some clients now where the gha is outperforming uh, the AdWords brand PPC, mm-hmm. which is, it's crazy in one way, but when you look at where the ads are showing, you know, not, Google so Hotel, it's not so crazy. Yeah, cause, cause, and, and we'll talk about this more in the show when we're talking about attribution modeling, right? But one of, one of the problems in with GHA is there's a lack of visibility, right? We, we don't really know where the ads are showing up. We, we can kind of guess that some are on broad terms like, you know, Austin hotels, but some are on you know, Hotel Metropolitan's brand name, right? So my feeling is more of them are on that brand name, right? Which which is further down the funnel. People don't search for the brand name until they've at least qualified that property as something they're interested in. So I think I think what's happening a little bit, and because it's, it's opaque, we can't really tell. Same thing that used to happen with TripAdvisor, mm-hmm. where TripAdvisor was always at the end of the funnel. People were waiting to make a decision, then just verifying their decision by looking at reviews. I think that might be a little bit what's happening here on GHA because, uh, you know, that that's the only explanation for the ROI because n- nothing else in, right. in the history of digital marketing early in the funnel has generated ROI this, this high, right? And you can't assume that consumers are just going to abandon all of their other research habits that they've already exhibited throughout history of the internet they're not going to just abandon that, right? So GHA is, on, is not a solo platform that's going to solve all the hotel And there's problems. almost no sales process to it. It is the name of the hotel and a price. Right. You know, and, so there's really nothing to... And you're clicking to, clicking to the booking engine on, on the property mm-hmm. website, typically, yeah. right? So 
Well, I would personally love to see keyword data, which I know we'll never get. I mean, that would be great, Google, if you're listening. But not only the keyword data, um, and I, at the the moment right now, don't have any clients on GHA. Phil kind of handles all of our GHA clients. But I would love to see um, what the breakdown between mobile and desktop is, just to see if a lot of that is coming from mobile, because you know the mobile SERP. I mean, you've got the AdWords ads, and then that local pack that has the GHA listings and the pricing and all that is front and center. So I'd be very curious to see what the conversion difference is between the, what device type you're using. Well, let's take a look at that and maybe we can talk about it on a future episode. I would say this though, like even though the results from an ROI perspective, if we're giving a hundred percent attribution to Google, which, you know, this is a good topic for this week's podcast, but the ROI is great, but the total volume is still not great, right? Mm-hmm. If we look at how many actual dollars are being generated relative to other channels, it doesn't compare yet, right? So there's not a lot of people, I mean, it's increasing, but it's not like 40% of your third party bookings are coming from GHA, it's just not, right? We still see Trip Connectors outperforming GHA from a volume perspective. Oh, you know, yeah. tremendously, yeah, right? A massive amount. Right? TripConnect and Instant Booking are both way outperforming. If you're on other meta searches, and really GHA, to all intents and purposes, is a meta search, for, for clients that are using Travago or Kayak, they're probably seeing more volume coming from them. But, but the ROI is just different, you know, and that's something to pay attention to. So we've talked about this a lot on the show recently, I think GHA in general, and it's something that everyone should be dabbling in. But it's not something you want to go all in, put all your chips in for, for sure. Yeah, and, and to your earlier point, you can't put all your chips there if you wanted to because of the limited budget that is even available to spend. In a lot of the cases for our clients, we are not necessarily even hitting our budget caps because of, obviously, it's very opaque and you don't know necessarily where Google is running those ads. Right. So it's not necessarily a budget thing. It is a integration thing with your PMS, and it's something that you do need to do if your PMS gives you that capability. Exactly, yeah. I think it's gonna continue, Google's gonna to continue to ram it down our throats, you know, as they try to get more and more of a piece of the pie. So uh, you gotta get on GHA, there's no question. Look at what they've done on the flights side. And, and a lot of people just anecdotally that I talk to use Google Flights now. That's their primary tool for researching flights. Ultimately, they go and book on the airline, but that's where they're starting. So I think GHA is really important in the ecosystem. But Google's also going to be a little cautious because they know where they're, you know, getting their revenue from, and it's from the OTAs. So they don't want to alienate the OTAs either. So, but you should definitely be on GHA. All right, what's next? So I have an article, and I'm not even going to try to say the name of the website because I will annihilate it. Um, but definitely check out the link. It is from an individual. He's an SEO specialist in Toronto, and this looks like his personal website. And this intrigued me just because it was specific to Google hotel reviews and ratings. So um, there's a lot of really helpful screenshots that kind of help illustrate what's happening here. Um, But basically, this SEO specialist noticed a change in the way that Google is presenting the hotel reviews. And like I said, there's screenshots that show the before and after. And he looked up one specific hotel that's in um, Canada. And the major changes that they've made, the point of this is that they are now showing reviews by travel or type. So the entire way they're presenting the reviews look like looks like it's changed. So if you look at any review or if you recall what they look like, if these have already changed for you, you would see individual reviews for the rooms, the location, the services and amenities kind of 
broken out. Now it looks like they're not showing that. They're just showing overall reviews. And then there's almost, it looks like a carousel at the top that has it broken down by different traveler types. So you'll see a little rating for couples, families, solo traveler, um, business traveler. And then from there, you can click into that specific traveler type and see the details and reviews for just that type. And I thought this was an interesting move on there and I know when I leave TripAdvisor reviews they specifically ask what type of traveler are you or what type of trip was this so I'm wondering if they're kind of just experimenting with that and taking a, a lead from TripAdvisor and seeing if this is something that people enjoy I personally haven't been able to replicate this in my searches so I think it is a newer test but I thought this was just an interesting move on Google's end as they're continually trying to test and really getting aggressive in the travel space they're me or they're making it so much more compelling to stay on Google mm -hmm. than ever before. And we've seen that you know, over the years as Google is trying harder and harder to become the source of information than really just the pass through for the, for the result. And this is a perfect example because it does lead you to click into it and spend some time reading the reviews right on, on Google. Yeah, and the, the guy's name is Sergei Alikov. So it's alikov.com and we'll link to it. But yeah, it... I think this is what's needed in reviews. I mean, reviews have become very homogenized in general, and, and we find ourselves kind of data mining, right? We're looking through reviews to find the stuff that's relevant to us, uh, in 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 dismissing the stuffs not. And and there's a lot of, you know, psychology involved in reviews in terms of you're looking for, you know, you have confirmation bias already going into it, right? You're looking for stuff that affirms your pre-existing perception, so. I, I like this a lot. If I'm a business traveler versus a leisure traveler with kids, the stuff that matters to me is going to be different. So being able to just sort and filter stuff a little better, especially as the volume of reviews continues to increase, I think that's really neat. So I would imagine that we're going to see everyone that has reviews start to follow suit and allow you to kind of sort and filter these reviews in, in a way that's more meaningful for you as an individual. That makes a lot of sense. All right, so let's jump into the main topic, which we're going to be talking today about attribution modeling. So if you're suffering from insomnia, this might be the great, perfect episode for you to <laughs> fall asleep too. We'll try to make it interesting. We'll go on a few tangents and Pete might tell a dad joke or two, but... I thought I took the dad joke crown. You did, but... I'm just the mm, B guy now. Just the B guy. <laughs> the, the arborist? No, yes. what was it? Is that right? Apiary is Apiarist. where you Arborist is trees. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Close enough. There you go. And it was an A word. You were definitely an A word, Pete. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> all right. So attribution modeling essentially, in layman's terms, is where you want to attribute or give credit to your marketing efforts in regard to how much revenue they're generating for you or how many conversions you're, they're generating for you, right? So it's a way for us as marketers to sort out the value of all our different marketing channels, campaigns, right? So we can measure them equally and then we know where to invest our money, where to reduce our spend on, on things, right? So why why is attribution modeling important, Melissa? It's important because so many different types of advertising and marketing efforts report back to you in different ways. And it's important that we're able to put all of those marketing efforts and compare them in an apples to apples way to get a fair assessment of really how much money each channel is generating for you. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, I mean, that's a big challenge right now, it's right? It's a huge challenge. So if we, if we rewind 
15 years ago where marketing strategy was sticking an ad in the AAA magazine and having a website and, and maybe sending some emails and we only had single devices, you know, attribution modeling wasn't necessary because we could really, we could put a unique phone number on our AAA magazine and we could measure 100% accurately how much revenue was coming from that ad. Today it's complicated because the consumer's journey it is more complex than it's ever been, right? Because people are jumping from device to device. They're, they're having multiple touch points or interactions with our brand. You know, for example, they could come, you know, they could see a, an organic search listing and a paid ad and come from an email and come from social media and come from a display ad campaign. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of touch points, right? So attribution modeling helps us understand the different interactions that a consumer is having with our brand and how that influences their decision to book. And then ultimately it gives us a measurement back to say, okay, it's worth me continuing doing GHA or this AdWords campaign or whatever it is, right? So that, and that's what it is. And, and it's, it's a fair way of looking at the data versus relying on, and we'll talk about this later, but the relying on the vendor data to tell us whether or not they're, you know, the, it's kind of the fox guard in the hen house, the vendor telling us your ROI is great, but in reality it's not, right? So let's, let's jump into this in a deep way by talking about considerations. So when we're looking at attribution modeling and we're just trying to figure out what, what we're really looking at, what do we need to think about? So what was the first thing we need to think about? Number one is really the source of the data. And there's, as you just said, there's, you could be getting your data from AdWords. You could be getting it from TripAdvisor. You could be getting it from Google Analytics. You could be getting it from any number of places. So how do we sort out what the correct source of data is? Yeah, so a great example of this, this happened this week to us with a client, right? That's running some some Facebook ads. And um, I'm not even sure what type of ad it was, but they were looking at the ROI and we were seeing the report coming from the folks running their uh, Facebook campaigns, and it was four, five to one in some cases. It, it was it was pretty good. It was it was working really well. We're someone here. We're people here that like the check and balance. We like data, but we like to make sure that the data we're using is accurate. It's, you know, it, it's telling us the right story. So we started comparing that to the data we were looking at in you know our analytics platform, Omniture. In this case, we use Google Analytics as well, but we're looking in this case at Omniture Site Catalyst or Adobe Analytics, whatever you want to call it. And the data was very different, right? So we started looking at how how those guys are recording the data and what they're attributing back to themselves. So Facebook, in this case, they they have a 28-day cookie, I think is what yes. it is. by and default. By default. And mm -hmm. uh, they give 100% attribution back, right? So if someone comes from that, clicks on that Facebook ad, comes to the site, doesn't book right then, but within the next 28 days comes back through another source, say an email, something like that, and books, then Omnich is not necessarily gonna attribute that back to Facebook. You know, the last click analytics side of it is gonna attribute that to whatever that most recent source is. So understanding that is fundamental when you're attribution modeling, I think. I agree, and I get that question personally a lot is working with the paid side of things. Um, when we send, you know, AdWords are paid 
reports and then they're looking at that versus what's being reported on their monthly analytics report that's reported through Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics. And there's some discrepancies there. So we do have to explain, okay, well, my data is coming straight from AdWords. This is what their attribution model is. This data is coming from um, you know, Google Analytics or Adobe. It's not that it's incorrect. It's just a different way of reporting it. Yeah, and that's why it is so important to have your own analytics platforms and have everything tagged and tracked correctly. Because if you look at the data from only the vendor side, then you're having a phenomenal rev par. You have more people staying in your hotel than you can handle. Because Google's saying 100% attribution, Facebook's saying 100% attribution, you know, Sojourn, you name it, they're all saying tons of people are coming to your site and it's all on them. And it's tons of double counting of the data. So you have to look at it through your own platform to really you know, get more of a, a unbiased look at how you're actually doing. All right, so that brings us right to the next thing, which is the type of interaction that the customer uses when getting to your site or being attributed to the revenue. And there's really two ways. There's either a click-through, there's also a view-through. And those are the two, I guess, main ways. And there's, there's other options as well. But if, if you look at those, you know, the click is truly exactly what that is. They've clicked, they made an action, and gone to your property site, and hopefully booked. The one that gets into a very bit of a, of a gray area is the view through. That means an ad appeared on the page somewhere. You don't necessarily know if the consumer even saw the ad, but after they saw or they were exposed to an ad, they then performed an action on your site. Yeah, this, this is one I have a really hard time with, especially when we're talking about display advertising. Yes. Because there's, there's a lot of vendors out there that give equal weight to a click in the view through. And and I just I just fundamentally disagree with that philosophy, right? I, I just think if someone's clicking, there's an intent there, right? If someone happens to see an ad, or maybe they didn't even see it because it loaded at the bottom of the page and they didn't scroll that far, right? There's an argument that can be made, and I think it's a strong one, that a view through just is not as valuable in in terms of its impact on the conversion as a click through, right? So some folks are doing really good, and we'll talk about delays and, and time sensitivity related to attribution modeling, but some people are doing a good job of saying that the value of a view through decreases faster than the value of a click through, but very few people are actually just starting out fundamentally by saying, okay, if I'm going to give 100% attribution to a click, I'm only going to give, say, 50%. And this is, that's an arbitrary number, but I'm only going to give a, a lesser amount attribution to a view through. I think that to me and for my clients, I like to start with that predicate that view throughs just in, in general are not as valuable as a click through. Certainly they have an influence. Certainly there's a subliminal or psychological impact from seeing an ad. Like I'm not questioning that there is some tangible value. My, my issue is that that value is not as, as high as a click. I completely agree. And I think while there is a time and a place for the view through conversion, and I agree that there are different ways to weight the attribution that make more sense, I, it makes me angry that a lot of different vendors that run things claim 100% attribution for the view through conversion. Not only that, but they aren't transparent about it. I think that's what gets me. They're not explaining the difference between the two. They're just, oh, you got 100 conversions. 99 of those were a view through conversion. They're not 
educating their clients about what the data actually means. So I think this is just one of those situations where if you are using a software or you're going through an agency or whatever it might be, like you need to be proactive in asking these types of questions because a lot of times they're not going to come out and just straight out tell you. Yeah, and I think this is a great opportunity if you are working with multiple vendors, if you have an agency that's managing your website or managing your overall analytics, having them be the check and balance, having them look over the shoulder of the vendors. And, and we'll talk about relying on vendor data in a little bit, but it doesn't hurt to have multiple sets of eyes on the data that you're getting and you're, you're receiving from people. But that, that view through thing, I mean, you've got to really look closely at the data that you're getting to make sure that you're not getting 100% attribution back to view throughs. It's For just sure. not a fair assessment. And I- when I've reported on it, like I don't even bother reporting on it for anything but display. But when I have reported on it, I make sure that I note that here was the actual number of bookings. Here was the actual number of view through conversions, just for reference. So maybe we can establish some patterns over time. I mean, that's what that's for. Yeah, to me, it's, it's icing on the cake. It helps, but it's the click that actually matters. There's way too many variables on a view through conversion that could make that view completely irrelevant and anybody or vendor who's completely relies on view through conversion that's completely disingenuous right i I think view through the value of view through should like you said be the icing on the cake but it's it's the difference between a marginal campaign if you're looking at your campaigns weighing them up against each other and you're saying that this one is say it's a three to one roi right and you're not sure if that's good enough to invest more or not well, it's three to one ROI through click-throughs, but you know what? There's a ton of view-through activity. Mm-hmm. Maybe that pushes it from the, I'm not sure if I want to do it, to, okay, we'll keep it for now category, right? So I, I think it is a an add-on versus like the meat of the results that you're going to get from a campaign. It We had one one client that was using a very large vendor uh, in the, in the, I'm not going to name them. I don't think that's fair, but they do a lot of display marketing and they have a attribution model that is, 12 days of view throughs, 100% attribution if you viewed an ad within the last 12 days. And to me, that's just bananas, right? But the the results they showed us was $300,000 in this period we were looking at of revenue was generated through that. When I started looking at the data from a click-through perspective, it was closer to $15,000, right? That's a big swing. Now, the reality is that the, the result and the impact was somewhere between those two numbers. But my gut tells me that it's a lot closer to the fifteen thousand than it is to the three hundred thousand. You know, and and when I measure an ROI, I, I've that's got a, a, that's that's a huge swing, yeah. right? So you really you got to be really careful when it comes to view through. And I think with something like that, you really do need to use a little bit of your own common sense. And as we've said with the view through, not even knowing that the consumer actually saw the ad on the page, that's a huge red flag right there. You right. can't prove that that right. either that they saw the ad where it was loaded, like they scrolled down far enough to see it, or if it was at the top of the page that their eyes were actually drawn to it and they actually did see the ad. Right. I mean, you just can't. What, and, and the people that are doing this, I think are in, in a unique position to measure, to, to do a real experiment here, right? What what I would love to do is work with one of these vendors that, that is, is big on the view-throughs and have them run an A-B test experiment. So people that are in the remarketing campaign or whatever the campaign is you're running, you run some kind of control or decoy ad, right? It's, it's a hotel, but it's a different one. But measure the impact of the people in this experiment that see 
the view through ad don't click and the ones that see the decoy ad and then see what difference is and how many of those ultimately go to book right no one's done that test to my knowledge they're but, not going to do that but that test. that would prove definitively what impact a view through really has and i want someone in the industry to step up and, and do that test and and really prove once and for all what is the value in a view through because because it's probably more than i think it is but it's certainly, it's less, certainly less than, than what they're claiming taking it is, credit right? for. And there's a lot of those vendors that you're talking about that are charging commissions based on these view-through conversions, right. which is scary That's as scary. can be. I would love to see a test like that, but those vendors, based on their revenue models, I mean, that would be a death It would be suicide, for, yeah. for sure. But hey, if, if I was controlling a large marketing budget for a large group of properties... I would demand that from my vendor that was just doing display advertising. To view through or not to view through? That is the question. Hmm. We're just shaking our heads at you right now, Mason. <laughs> I've officially lost the crown of dad jokes. Yeah, you really have. Now. You really have. Just stick to the bees and yep. bring us some honey. All right, what's number three? All right, length of cookies. What? <laughs> Answer your own question. <laughs> Sorry. I could go for you a can cookie do the next right one. now. You can do number anybody four. anybody bring I, cookies? Now I'm today. Hungry. Now, yeah, I should have brought cookies. There's uh, chips and salsa downstairs. Cause it's That's not a cookie. Well, there's also know. tequila downstairs. We should have. Well, this is true. Hit that up. All right. So length of cookies. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about length of cookies. Length of cookies. Well, there are varying length of cookies. And depending on, again, what vendor you're talking to or what software, what analytics program you're using, that length of cookie could vary quite drastically. We've said that AdWords by default also uses a 28 day cookie. We know that um, most, I would say most by default campaign tracking is usually about 30 days, give or take. Mm -hmm. You can agree or disagree with that. Both Google Analytics and Adobe Analytics now have the ability to customize your cookie lengths. Um, We typically say if a campaign exists, just let it run until a conversion has happened. Obviously, if another campaign comes through, it's going to override that cookie and you start all over again. So there's different lengths of cookies, and that's important to keep track of. And from my experience, at least with different platforms, like you can specify that. Like You do have the ability to change that. Yeah, and I think where this is, in, it, it, what's important about this is that you understand what the link is right in that you're consistent so that you're measuring apples to apples between platforms and when there is a discrepancy in in the data this could be one of the factors right so if your analytics platform that you're using is running a 15-day cookie and the vendor that you're using for advertising whether it's facebook or adwords or a display network if there's is 30 days obviously, obviously there's going to be a huge discrepancy. discrepancy because people take time to book in our most recent study of leisure travelers the time between starting the research and booking was 26 days, right? So there's a lot of touch points. There's a lot of interactions with the brand, whether that's views of ads, whether that's clicking on ads, clicking on emails, viewing social posts, whatever it is, people are getting multiple touch points during that time. So understanding that the length that you want to continue to equate that action to the result, I think is really important. And how do you determine what that length really is? That's a really hard yeah. question. But, I mean, booking a vacation, like you said, we're seeing typically it's a 20-something But that's the average, right? right? Which means 50% of people, if it was a bell curve, are more than that, right? right? So 
I don't know. I, I don't think it really matters. As long as it's consistent. As long as it's consistent. And as long as it's long enough, right? I think if you're 14 days and you know that the mean average is 26 days of research, then I think you're obviously going to miss out on a lot of knowledge that you might have. So I think 28 days minimum is good. I, I'm like you, though. I like attribution where you don't expire it. You know, yeah. it, it, I mean, within reason, you know, 12 months, probably a little excessive, right? But 30 days, maybe a little, 28 days, maybe a little short. I don't know. But just just be aware and be consistent. I think that's the takeaway from Link the Cookies. What's next, Misha? Next, we have number four, which is time between interaction and conversion. So, yeah, so this decay of value that we've already kind of touched on, I think is important, right? Especially when it comes to someone that's having multiple touch points because the longer they've gone and the more touch points they've had in between, I think that diminishes the value to a degree. There's still, there's still tangible value, right? But for example, if I viewed a social post and interacted and shared, shared it two weeks ago, is that as valuable to a conversion than if I did it a day before a book, you know? I think most logical people would argue that it's not. You know, it certainly has a value, but it didn't push them all the way to conversion. And that might be just where they were in the funnel. So you've got to consider that. But I, th I think in general, the consensus is the longer between an interaction with some kind of ad or exposure in the booking, the less valuable that interaction was in the attribution model. Yeah, and we'll talk about several different examples of this, but I personally am intrigued by the models that look at every single point along the way, which there was some type of action or conversion event or whatever it might be, but it gives credit to every point in that. I just find that interesting, and I think it's helpful to see long-term, if you can establish some trends, that people are doing this and then this and then this, and they book, or if you're running, let's say, 10 different campaigns and people are only interacting with five of them, kind of helps you weed out what's working and what's not absolutely it's a beauty of attribution model. <laughs> are you ready for number six yes number six is was it new or repeat business hmm. so I, I think it's fair to assume that most people are willing to pay a little bit more to get someone that's never stayed with them before than they are to get someone to stay again right it it in sales in general, new business typically costs more to acquire. Sure. And I think when you're looking at attribution models and trying to determine, and again, the reason you're looking at attribution models is to determine where your budget should be spent each year, right? So when we're looking at the ROI for a specific channel, taking into account what kind of business that's generating, I'll give you a great example of that. So we, we're big proponents of the destination portal sites in your market, right? I, th I think they tend to do a really good job on the broad term searches. So for example, we're here in Myrtle Beach. There's a great portal site, MyrtleBeach.com. We work with those guys. We had Cassidy from there on the podcast before. When we look, when we study the traffic that they generate to our clients' websites and the people that book, there's a higher percentage of those people are new business than say from their AdWords campaigns, right? Because there's a percentage there's a percentage of the people that come from the AdWords campaigns that are searching the brand because they've always stayed there before, right? So when you're looking at the ROI, it isn't fair to compare 
themodelbeach.com ROI to your AdWords brand campaign ROI because there's different types of people, right? And, and you're willing to spend more money to get that person that's never stayed with you before and that you would not capture any other way because they're searching broad terms where you don't rank and you're not bidding because it's not cost effective. So you've got to make sure that when you're looking at the value for each channel or each campaign that you're running, that you're comparing the, the channels that are generating new business to each other and the channels that are generating repeat business to each other. Right. I, I think that's, yes. and a lot of that can't is not necessarily going to be on the same report. And I think that's where people miss this very often is not always are you going to know or say Google is going to know that the person who just booked had booked two years in the past at your property. You may have to typically wait till it gets into the PMS to be able to see, oh, this is a repeat booking. So you do have to look at multiple reports and before you completely say, I don't want to have any part of, you know, marketing channel A, you do want to look at who you know is, is booking from there. Because I mean, Stuart, you're absolutely right. If you know, you have one outlet that you only have a 200% ROI on, but every single person is a new guest, well, that's a new business lead and it's going to cost a little bit more, but hopefully you're doing your job at the property to where you, know, you get that person back year after year. Right. So that leads to a next consideration for attribution modeling, which is the lifetime value of the guest, right? So not only is it important to know whether they've been to your property before or not, but it's important to know, are they likely to stay again, right? So an example of that would be Groupon. And we've had a lot of clients that have experimented a lot with Groupon and they'll, they'll dump their rate and they'll get a lot of heads and beds for a soft weekend. And then we'll look to see, okay, what was the ROI on that? And you've got to factor in what would the rate have been if I had actually sold it, right? There's a lot of things to consider with something like Groupon. But then looking over the course of one or two or three years, how many of those people actually came back again, right? Is, it, is, the, is the notion that Groupon guests are Groupon loyal? Is that true? Or have I managed to take someone that was shopping purely based on the deal, came to my property, was I, was I able to give them a great enough experience that they're willing to come back and play, pay full price next year, right? That's something that most people don't look at. They're just, they're just excited about the number of heads and beds they put. But what is marketing shouldn't be about the one and done. It should be about the long-term sustainability of your business. And if you're, if you're paying um, these channels or you're, you're using marketing campaigns that don't yield a great ROI and don't, learn, don't yield long-term benefit, then I would advise you to stay away from those. There's, there's other channels that you can be investing in that are going to build more long-time loyalty and repeat guests. So this is perhaps an inappropriate analogy, but whatever. I can't wait for this. <laughs> that, that would so, be a first for this podcast. Wake up, people. Now's the time to wake up. Yeah. So just looking at lifetime value, and I appreciate the comparison you made to Groupon because before getting into the hotel industry, I was in the restaurant industry, and I was dabbling with marketing and trying to help some small businesses with their marketing strategy. And when Groupon was hot back in the day, I was working at a restaurant and we sat down and had a meeting with the Groupon rep. And he was like, it's great. You know, you offer a 50% off whatever, and you'll get all these people. And even then in my mind, I'm like, all right, so we're getting all these people in here. We're not going to make money on this. And they're only coming here because it's discounted. It didn't make sense in my mind at the time, but 
getting back to the point of my analogy, would you rather have a hundred one night stands or have a long and happy marriage? Like that's what you're looking at when you're trying to convert these customers into lifetime yes. valuable guests. Can we have both? Yeah, do you need the answer now? <laughs> All right. As the only single person in the room, I will say might be better to have somebody long term. I don't know. I I'd like to A/B test yeah. that. <laughs> I, I haven't made it to 100, but I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> a couple of weeks, you'll get there. Okay, it's fair. <laughs> hey, Groupon. True. So you could use that. Uh, no. Is Tinder like the Groupon of dating? <laughs> no, I despise Groupon in ter- for hotels because it's, it's, it's like crack to the revenue manager or to the person who's saying, oh, look, my occupancy is low. I was talking with the property literally one day ago who's looking a little bit soft in the beginning of June. That's called yesterday. Yes, it was. Okay. <laughs> like no one says one day ago. Everyone says yesterday, yes. right? Okay. Okay. Well, it was both. It was yesterday and one day ago. Okay. But by the time these people are listening, it might be three or four days ago. Either way, the point <laughs> Let's is... Let's put a date on it. Okay. Either way, this property it's was the looking a little bit soft. 2017. <laughs> for the beginning of June. And they wanted to see what else they could do. The idea of Groupon came up. And it's always made me nervous because... We've seen that before. You you book on if someone books on Groupon, they get a great deal. If you look the next year, they're not booking again. But you can find them oftentimes at other properties. They're just looking for the cheapest way to stay at a location or destination, and your property is irrelevant to them. For sure. And you're looking to put heads in beds, and you might have achieved that goal, but what is your profit on that? Did you make any money by cutting your rates in half? Probably not. So would it have mattered if that room yeah, was empty anyway? Go nuts on an OTA, and at least you're paying yeah. a lesser you know, percentage of the booking. Yeah, I think OTA is definitely a better way to go. I have seen scenarios where Groupon can make sense for people, but you've got to manipulate your rates to make that work, right? You've got to jack up the rates while the Groupon's running and and run a perceived discount. Mm -hmm. Because the other challenge with something like Groupon is you're anchoring the rate, right? If if someone, if if your ADR is typically $200 a night and you're running $100 ADR on Groupon, People that have now purchased your hotel at $100, that's ang- that's where their perception is, right? Your your property is worth $100 a night. They're not going to come back and pay twice as much next year. It just doesn't happen. And data supports that. And like Pete says, when we look at, and we're very fortunate because we got a lot of properties in the same destinations a lot of times. So we can see cross-pollination. And we see that you're exactly right. The people that come in from Groupon to a property often end up at a different property next year through a different Groupon, right? So be cautious. And I'm not saying you shouldn't ever do Groupon. I think there's value, especially if you've got homeowners and you just need to get heads in bed sometimes. Th- th- that makes sense, yeah, right? I think there's careful. a difference in adding value and providing value during a stay than devaluing your property. Because when you're cutting your rates or offering a substantial discount, you're devaluing your property in the eyes of someone. Like you said, if they go there for $100 a night, why would they ever go there and pay twice as much of your actual rate? It's not going to happen. Misha's social recommendation of one-night stands is a safer bet than spending money on Groupon. (laughs) (laughs) Better ROI. I've never had a bad experience on Groupon, though. Can't say the same about the uh, the latter. All right, so move on. All right, so the next one is... uh, Oh, can I talk about this one? Okay, go ahead. Is the fact that consumers are using multiple devices. Mm. This makes things virtually impossible to get a good attribution model going because currently it is really, really difficult to measure people across device. 
very difficult. It is. Google Analytics is making strides in this direction. That with, with Universal Analytics, they, they do have the ability now, if you're getting people to log in for some reason to your hotel website. You better have a darn good... Having yeah, yeah. Passing the user ID to... But you can, right? Through loyalty, through through gamification, through... If you're creating some kind of value, I think that there's a there's a way to do it. Obviously, people like the OTAs have a huge advantage on this, right? Yes. But but I think hotels need to be thinking long and hard about giving consumers a reason to log in, whether that's, you know, if you look at Hilton, they're offering with their loyalty program, loyalty member rates and things like that. I think all hotels need to be thinking that way because it, it is, like Melissa said, almost impossible to really properly understand your attribution model unless you consider multiple devices because we know that people start their vacation research on mobile devices and end up booking on desktops more often than not right that's t- the typical mean behavior right so if they clicked on a display ad or an adwords campaign or or a social post or whatever it is on their mobile device and then ultimately go and book on their desktop you you unless you're doing this cross device attribution you have no way of attributing that back so the, the top of funnel ad campaigns are always going to be at a disadvantage because they tend to be adopted more on mobile devices, right? So if you look at attribution modeling from first click and last click and, and you look at how that's impacted cross device, mobile just gets crushed because so many people start on a mobile device and then book on a desktop. Yes. <laughs> You have, no, you have nothing else to say. I get people to log into your website so we can get some really good data. That would be fantastic. Right. Give them a reason for real. Um, it's in, I, it's invaluable. As a person, like why would I Th- ever that's have a the reason? problem? And I think that that uh, if you take a, a different industry, like you're selling widgets, you're selling clothing. People have a reason to log in. You know, they're coming back to the site over and over. Amazon, you're always logged oh, into well, Amazon. Yeah. They have all your data. I will Pe- say that, people like, will log in if they have. If value. they have, a like reason. if I stay with a hotel and I don't travel enough to be a loyal member to hotels, but if I traveled all the time, I would certainly join Marriott or Hilton or whatever. But if I stay somewhere and it's a random hotel and they're like, join our loyalty program, save ten percent. I mean, I'll join. I never use but it. Even but even then, when I, you know, like I'm a, so, a Hilton yeah. member and a Marriott member and all these other. Ones. I'm a member of like every single but one. But I don't even log into those until I'm in the process of checking out. Yeah. You know, so they don't know that I yeah. was, you know, spending time on my phone researching a stuff. I'll get to check out and it's like enter your rewards and I'm like, oh crap, I gotta remember that then password. Gotta go I gotta go find this. <laughs> like what? Yeah, I, I think there's two things, right? One, you gotta add value in in it and it it could could be just the discount, but I think you gotta make it more. And I think you gotta use this when you're really targeting repeat guests more because mm-hmm. you can add more value over time, right? Yeah. And then the second thing is you got to make the experience frictionless, right? So the login needs to be as hassle-free as possible. So whether you're using, you know, a Google and Facebook sign-in and they can choose which one they want to use, something like that, I think is good. There are reasons people will log in. You know, maybe it's leaving a review. Maybe it's because they get a discount. Maybe it's because they see some kind of special gated content that is interesting to them. But I think it's worth a try. But regardless, if you can't get them to do that, then just remember the fact that people are using multiple devices right. and remember that your attribution modeling is going to be wonky because of that. Yes. And that top of funnel channels are going to be devalued and bottom of bottom of funnel 
um, channels are going to be overvalued. So just you've got to weight it accordingly based on that. What's next? All right, so the next one we have is really an important question that you need to consider, and that is, are you including the management costs in your ROI or ROAS? This is important. One, that you make a choice. It's either going to be yes or no, and apply that to every single one of your, your marketing you know, initiatives. This is those decisions if you do it for, say, your Facebook campaign, you include your management costs, but you don't do it for PPC, then you start getting into some real apples to oranges type comparisons that are going to lead you down the wrong road. Yeah, and that could be like a management fee being charged by a third-party agency or even the cost of managing that campaign by your internal resources. Figure out the number of hours they're spending and what their hourly cost is. Because if you're not really looking at the true cost of a campaign, it's not fair because certain channels are set up and forget it, but some, they require a lot of labor. And if, if you're really trying to determine at the end of the day, should I put more money into this channel or this channel or this campaign or this cham campaign, and you're not considering all the costs, then you may be making the wrong decision. If there's, you know, if, if they're marginally different and you're not factoring in the, the management fees, but one of them takes 10 hours a week and one of them takes one hour a week, that's enough to flip your decision. Mm -hmm. So you really got to consider that. And it can be expensive, especially if you're using agencies and you're doing, say, display advertising and they're charging you a 20% margin or something like that. 20% on the cost has a big impact on the ROI or the ROAS. So you got to make sure that that is a factor. Again, if you don't, that's your decision, but you got to not, not include it for everyone. Yeah, and that's really where you see that apples oranges I was kind of talking about where you know, we've had it happen in the past where we're reviewing a client's performance and you know you see one item that looks like it's you know doing a phenomenal job let's say it's pay per click and then you look at their performance on another system that's also a pay per click model and they are including the management fee you're very likely to look at the numbers and say okay we need to ditch version B and go with version A until you find out that oh wait a minute you're missing out on 20% of the, the cost of this whole product. You need to factor it in. Yeah, no question. All right, so let's do the last okay. consideration. And I think this may be one of the most overlooked, but it is, it is making sure you really understand the attribution model that your vendor is using, right? When, when you're using a third party, whoever that is, making sure you understand how they're measuring the results. Because it's really easy to get a report and you're busy and all you see is the bright and shiny numbers. But we kind of touched on this already. The fox is guarding the hen house. So the agency, the vendor, whoever it is, the distribution channel is always, always, always going to create data for you that puts them in the best light. It is not going to be an objective reporting of the data. It's not inaccurate. It's not alternative facts. But what I'm saying is they're going to be telling you the things that favor them more than not. It's the best case scenario for them. Right, exactly. So you'll see, for example, in AdWords, most people are going to report 100% attribution to AdWords, right? Regardless of what happens after, they're going to use the AdWords report itself, which is if at any point in the last 30 days you clicked on that ad, 100% of the revenue is generated after that click is, is reported, right? Even if that person goes on in the future to click on an email or social or display ad, something like that, you're still going to get 100% attribution. And where you can really see where this gets wonky is when you add up all the revenue from all the different providers, right? And then you notice that, okay, if I add my AdWords 
revenue to my organic search revenue to my display net revenue to my social revenue and now it's 150% of my actual revenue it's like well someone's taking credit for something that they shouldn't be right so you got to be really really on top of this and, and drill your vendors on what their attribution model is and make sure especially like we said before if the view through is getting overly reported have a conversation with them and and and, and say this is how I want you to attribute it. Can you provide me data that looks like this? Or have a third party that's normalizing all your data, taking the data from all the vendors and providing you back with a more objective report. You have to own your attribution model. It's not something that the vendor provides to you. You own it. You specify, hey, this is how we're going to attribute. You click A versus click B versus view through. And I just want to specify one thing going back to the view through issue. There is nowhere in any analytic system that is going to show you a view through conversion. Right. There's that, no that way for you to find that isn't information. Triggered in no. any way in the in the So let's just be platform. clear about that. That that is one hundred percent not able to be verified at all. Right. So, so that, those are things to consider, but let's kind of run through a couple of scenarios because I think that'll be helpful for our listeners to, to, when they're looking at attribution models and deciding what works best for them, because there is no right answer. No one's got this all figured out. There isn't an industry standard that doesn't exist. So if you're sitting there freaking out right now because this is a lot of information and you don't really know what to do, that's okay. You're with the majority of people you just got to pick an attribution model that you're comfortable with that that lines up with how you want to market and and stick to it you know and sometimes people will look at one or two and look at it both ways you know and that's okay as well compare the the results from different attribution models so let let's run through a scenario right yeah so so here's a we'll, we'll put this in perspective let's pretend i'm going on a vacation with my family where are you going pete where are you going pete I think I'm going to go to the Turks and Caicos Islands. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah. You so. should definitely do that. So how are you going to do that? All right. So let's start off where the first thing I do is I'm going to go ahead and do a search for hotels in the Turks and Caicos. I see a Google ad and I click on it and I check out a property. It's a pretty nice place and I'm thinking about staying there. So I close my browser, talk to my family about it. And then, you know, about a week or two later, I'm on Facebook, do a search find the property, look at their their profile, look at some of their posts, click on one of their posts and go to their site to relook more of the property. Mm-hmm. I'm getting closer to making a, a decision and that Facebook thing definitely helped. And your wife gave you permission to book it at this point. Right? Yeah, so she She's, says, okay, we're ready to go. I was like, well, let me see, you know, kind of if we find any deals. Well, a little bit later, I got an email saying, you know, here's a great deal at this hotel in the Turks and Caicos. I was like, bam, that's what I need. Let's go ahead and book this. We talk about it. So I go back to my browser, do a search for it, find the hotel's organic listing, click it, and I book the hotel. Let's, for example's sake, let's say I spent $1,000. That's a great deal. Yeah. It is a great deal. It is a good deal. For so. the Turks and Caicos Islands? Yeah, I was excited deal. about that deal yeah. in my imaginary vacation. Okay. So. Your wife's going to be pissed when she finds out you're not actually going. Yeah. That's going to be Because she listens thing. to the podcast, obviously. Yep. Hey, but on another note, if any hotel listening in Turks and Caicos wants to uh, send us out and we'll give you a shout out on the podcast, let, let, yeah. let us know. And, and we can track our attribution model <laughs> and, yeah. and let them know how it goes. Right. But anyway, so... You know, All right, from, so let, let's, let's clarify this, yeah, right? I went on a vacation. I'm going on a vacation. Right. I'm, I spent $1,000. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I first did a Google search and clicked on a PPC campaign. Mm-hmm. I went to their uh, Facebook 
site clicked on one of their ads. That was a week later. That was about a week later. All right. Then the next day after that. After that, I then got an email. All right. Clicked on check, that. Clicked on that. Yeah. And then lastly. You went straight to the domain name? Yes. Okay. All right. So that would be direct. So let's yeah. not, because you said originally SEO, like you came for organic. Yeah. Let's no, say you so didn't I do that. Let's say you to, typed in the yeah. URL. Because otherwise you just screwed up all my notes that yes. I have right here. All right. <laughs> so, so anyway, so I did four different things. Yeah. And I did them all within the 28 Well, let's give 100, 100% attribution to all four of those things. And then my hotel report says I just made $4,000. I'm happy, right? Yeah, you're overbooked now. But then, but then I look at my, my bank account. <laughs> and I've only got $1,000 in there. So That's a problem. So but clearly Stuart, there's there must a be a better way. So, so whatever you do with your attribution model, you have to make sure that the attribution back to the sources is never more than the actual revenue, right? So mm-hmm. in no attribution model you create should you ever be recognizing more than $1,000 in that situation, mm-hmm. right? So let's go through some scenarios of different attribution models that you could employ to track and, and make sense of this behavior. Um, well, the easiest one is last click, and yeah. that's what's most commonly used. I visited the site from a blind referral. I went right to the site. Yeah, it was a direct, direct <laughs> referral, right? right? So that right there, 1000 bucks, direct traffic. Okay. Done. So my website just made me a thousand dollars. And if I was doing no advertising whatsoever, no other external marketing, I would have still made that, that revenue. Yep. And, in, and in this that attribution scenario. model, PPC, right. social, everything else is a waste. Yeah. And that, that's the attribution <laughs> model that a lot of people use. And, and I think you can clearly see we're using an extreme case, but it, it can be misleading. If you're just looking at last click attribution, I mean, I, I think if you look at everything from last click, what you're going to find is the stuff towards the end of the funnel. So brand PPC, direct referrals, organic search results, HPA, HPA, TripAdvisor in some cases, those kind of channels and campaigns are always going to get over attribution in last click analytics. And But th- that is the reality we live in. Most people live and die on last click analytics. So what, what's something else they could employ? We could look at the last campaign. Ooh. Ooh. So now we're only only looking at paid stuff or stuff that was intentional marketing-wise. So we're ignoring, in this case, direct traffic. Right. right. And we're back to, in this case, in Pete's case, we're looking at email. So $1,000 to email in this case. Wow. So my email is doing great, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But, oh man, I wish my PPC was doing better. Well, there's, there's another attribution model you could use. Ooh. So you could use first interaction, which is the first touch point. So in this case, AdWords would get 100% of the credit for the sale. Awesome. So AdWords is doing great now. My email and my other stuff sucks. The challenge with first interaction could be if you're if you're running display, right? It could be, a dis- say you're not remarketing. It's just a, a cl- straight up display ad campaign to look like, something like that. And that interaction could be a view. So in that in that scenario, you you would be giving a thousand dollar attribution to that view through, which which obviously that's heavily weighted top of funnel, and probably isn't fair to the stuff at the bottom of the funnel. Right? I saw my most favorite tweet of the year about two weeks ago about first interaction touch point yeah. attribution. It's like giving your high school girlfriend one hundred percent credit for marrying your wife. <laughs> <laughs> What if my high school girlfriend is my wife? Well, then, okay, in that case, well, in this case, maybe nobody else went to anything else besides Edwards. Okay, but Pete, Pete didn't marry his high school girlfriend, so we know that his attribution model is more complex because yes. he clicked on AdWords. Maybe that's how he found his wife. I don't know, but... Question, how yeah. much credit do my cats get? <laughs> when you get married, we'll determine that. Okay. 
right. so you'll be dead by then so it won't matter <laughs> you're sounding more and more desperate by the episode <laughs> i'm not people are going to start like, getting worried about you cynical okay cynical there's a difference there you go. all right so what what's the, another attribution model we could go with I think the most interesting one is linear, and that's where you give equal value to every touch point along the way. And this is one way, this is a way of just putting it all basically on an even playing field, and you can see exactly how much revenue played into each channel. But at least we're getting to the point where the AdWords campaign, the Facebook campaign, the email, and that blind referral are all starting to take shape in your analytics. Yeah, they're there's not one credit. failure. There's not one success. It's a blended. Right. And and I think that's the fairest we've touched on so far, right? Because now you're, you're seeing that there is some value to each of those touch points. And so when you're budgeting, you're going to consider that. You're going to say, okay, well, my email's doing something for me. My pay-per-click's doing something. My social's doing something. And my website's doing something. So, yeah, I probably need to keep all four of those. But the naysayer amongst us might argue that that's not a fair fair no. model right because not every one of those had equal weight right not every one of those contributed equally to the sale this is like a group project where you have four people in the group and they all get credit for the you know, they all get the same grade but like one person kind of slacked off which is where the next model comes in handy which i personally think is the most interesting which is the time decay model so this gives more weight to the channel or campaign that was closest to the actual conversion so in this case adwords would see some credit but then the direct would get the most credit so it's weighted based on how long from the original touch point the conversion happened right so in this case where the email and the direct um, click to the website happened on the same day they would get the same weight which would be greater than facebook that happened the day before which would be a lot greater than the AdWords click that happened a week before. Right? Yeah, but see, the thing is, is had they not ran that AdWords campaign, I they, wouldn't have known about that hotel at all. Right. I mean, did we just jip them by only giving the AdWords campaign 50 bucks worth of credit for my booking and email and direct got most of the value? Right. It, yeah, it definitely, it, this is another model like last click analytics that, that weights things towards end of funnel at the expense of beginning a funnel and this is and we for this you know scenario we're talking about someone's doing all this on the same device but in re reality this is also going to jip mo any kind of mobile channel or mobile mm -hmm. campaign as well because it's more top of funnel so yeah i, I think that one is good but I, I don't think it's ideal i i don't see many clients using the the time decay i think decay is a factor in a lot of people mm -hmm. but they may they may kind of do hybrids of some of these and we'll, we'll touch on that in a second but what's the, what's the next one so the last one that we were going to talk about was position based and this to touch on what you were saying pete about oh the the adwords ad didn't really get much credit even though that was the first touch point this particular model prioritizes the first and the last over anything else so in this case the adwords campaign and the direct campaign get the most credit and then the stuff in the middle gets some credit but not quite as much yeah, I think I like this one to a degree, and I think this end end tying in some kind of time decay, so it's not just flat everything in the middle. I like, but but again, none of these are really precise, right? None of these are going to give you really a, a thorough understanding of what what value each of these campaigns really contributed. 
But I think it's just important to look at it and consider it from different method, different perspectives, right? Because I, I like some of these models when I'm comparing my bottom of funnel channels, and I like some of these better when I'm looking at my top of funnel. So, so I like to look at multiple uh, attribution modeling. Tools like uh, Google Analytics do a good job of helping you look at different attribution models. And, and I think that, to me, is a really important thing to take away from this episode is there is not one correct way to attribute value to all your campaigns. It just isn't. It, there's not a considered standard. So you've got to apply your gut feeling, your logic, what your business is, but look at it from multiple angles and, and really make sure you're taking into consideration all the things we talked about today. You know, I completely agree. And I, we didn't touch on every single type of attribution model out there, and but we did cover six, which is still a lot. So I feel like it is important to understand the difference between them and know how to look at them and how to use them and how that can help you figure out what marketing campaigns or what marketing channels are most valuable at different points in the funnel. You guys have any uh, final thoughts? Take just a couple of those attribution models. Keep it simple. Look at it over time. Don't just do it once because once isn't going to help you. Well, it might help you a little bit, but really you want to be looking at this over time so you can see trends long term and just Try it out and see how it goes. You'll find some insights. Yeah, Pete, what's your final thoughts? I would say before you start playing around with attribution models, <clears throat> before you do anything else, make sure every campaign you're running, AdWords, social, email, whatever it might be, you have it tagged and tracked appropriately. Because if it is not tagged and you do not see it in your analytics platform, you can't run any of these attribution models. You have to do that first and then the rest of it you know, you can manipulate the data as you see fit. Yeah, I, I'll add that I, I think don't overthink it. You know, this is really complicated. It's one of the most complex parts of digital marketing, and it gets more complicated by the day because there are more channels and more devices and all that stuff. So use the tools that exist. You know, Google Analytics does a great job of attribution modeling and being able to compare different attribution models and look at the data from multiple ways and use this as it doesn't have to be precise. You just need to make sure that you're comparing apples to apples, looking at everything through the same lens, and that when you're making your marketing budget decisions, you're looking at it from a perspective of which of my campaigns are performing better across multiple attribution models. So should I be reducing my budget on display advertising and putting it into Google Hotel Ads, for example? That's something we'll see in a lot right now because every attribution model we run is showing that GHA tends to perform have a better ROI than display advertising so just don't overthink it don't drive yourself crazy if you're spending too much time trying to figure this stuff out and that's costing you more than the money you're going to save from the changes you're going to make the decisions you're going to make then you're doing it wrong just don't overthink it leverage the tools that exist and you'll and you'll be fine and and know that most people aren't doing this right so if you are doing this then you're ahead of the competition Misha, do you have some final thoughts? I always have final thoughts. So my grand words of wisdom for today are just ask before you start working with another software vendor or another agency, or even if you hire somebody internally to manage your digital marketing, just ask what attribution model that they're using. That makes a huge difference at the end of the day. And being that you're paying them to do this, they should be 100% transparent about how they're reporting. And if you don't feel comfortable with their answer or it seems like they're being a little sketchy about it, maybe you shouldn't be working with them. 
Indeedy. So that is attribution modeling in a nutshell. If you have questions about that, you can always hit us up online on Twitter at Fuel Travel. And before we go, I wanted to let you guys know that this coming week, we're going to have a webinar on May 9th. We're going to be talking about the booking funnel and we're looking at three different studies. One was done by us here at Fuel. One was done by Travel Tripper and one was done by Trust You. So us three companies are coming together and we're going to do an amazing webinar. I looked at the slides yesterday and there's so much cool data packed in there. You guys are going to, it's going to be an hour long webinar, but you're going to take away so much and it's going to be actionable. You can be able to apply it to your hotel the same day. So if you're interested in improving your bookings, improving your marketing in general and wanting to know more about consumers and how they choose your hotel, how they find your hotel, this is the webinar for you. And you can go and sign up for that right now. It, again, it's going to be on Tuesday, the 9th of May at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So go, go to fueltravel.com slash webinar and sign up for that. It's going to be kick butt. So before we go, Peter, where can they find you on the web? They can find me on Twitter. I'm at pdimao, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. Melissa. I'm at M-A Cavanaugh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And Misha. I am at Marketing Misha. That is at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. And you can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. You can also get the show notes where we go through this list in the attribution modeling that we talked about at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 53. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Rattling. There's a rattler around here.